Titus is where we're at. We're starting in chapter three. It's the third and final chapter of, of this letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to this guy named Titus who is leading the church on the island of Crete. It's this beautiful island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, Paul is writing to Titus saying like, hey, this is how you build and sustain a healthy church. And he talks about different matters of doctrine, of structure, of order. And uh, we're walking through this because we have a significant desire to be a healthy church for a long time. And so we're walking through Titus, learning and gleaning these teachings from Paul on a healthy church. Our tagline for this series is gospel truth leads to godly living. You can see it right there in the very first verse of chapter one. And then it's explained and expanded on throughout these three chapters. That's uh, gospel truth leads to godly living. when we experience the good news, when we are recipients of the gospel and it takes root in our lives, it always produces a more godly life. That we do not receive the gospel and maintain the same lifestyle for the rest of our days. That it is progressively growing in godliness. It's progressively becoming more and more like Christ as the gospel takes root in our lives. So we desire to be a church, to be a community that absolutely preaches the gospel, that shares the good news with anyone and everyone. We want Missoula to know the good news and the hope that we have found in Jesus. But we also want to be a church that challenges and encourages each other towards holiness, to live more godly, to live all that the gospel was intended to produce inside of us. Salvation is what we celebrate, that we have an eternity in the presence of God, but we have a limited time on this earth where the gospel ought to be transforming us more and more into his image, and it's going to make a difference in the community that we're around. It's going to make a difference in the generation after us, and we want to use utilize this time that God has given us in this life uh, to become all that he's called us to be. So we don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be self-righteous. We're not going to cross these lines of judgment and comparison, but absolutely as a community, how do we encourage and challenge each other towards the godly life that the gospel is intended to produce inside of us? Uh, We are in chapter three. We're just going to look at verses one and two today. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can read along. If not, you can follow along on the screen. It says this, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Lord, we just thank you that your word, it is alive and it is active. Uh, Lord, we just gather today uh, looking at this text Um, Not to just have more intellectual understanding, but for it to make a difference in our lives. Lord, we thank you that uh, you're growing and you're speaking and that you have a desire that we be a healthy church. Help us learn and discover ways today to to grow in health individually and as a community. And uh, we're so grateful for you, your presence, your word. It's your name we're gathered. It's your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Uh, Danny and I, we have three kids. Charlie, our oldest, is a freshman. She's 14. We have Berkeley, who just turned 11 this week. And uh, we have Finley, who is seven and in the second grade. Uh, And we, at this point uh, of our journey, have uh, approximately... Uh, experienced 40 lost teeth. Uh, We're probably not quite exactly, but about 40 times our children have lost a tooth and therefore uh, 40 nights for the tooth fairy to show up. Um, Now, statistically, the tooth fairy's done a pretty good job. Like 39 out of 40 is a pretty good job, unless you're the one child who was the 40th out of 40. We, uh, the tooth fairy missed one night, one time. 
and uh, it, was, it was tragic, it was devastating uh, that the Tooth Fairy didn't show up. And so uh, the next night, the Tooth Fairy had to more than make up for it. I'm telling you, there was glitter on the bedroom. There was uh, handwritten notes of apology with like swirls on at the end of every letter. And there was a, a generous gift that was far more than any other tooth the Tooth Fairy had ever left uh, to make up for missing the night that the tooth had come out. Now this was a big moment, like this is tragic. And we're like, we have failed. Like how, how does this ever happen? And so uh, it, that moment uh, created a reminder, an alarm clock in my phone that uh, says Tooth Fairy in all caps with exclamation points. And then the, the strategy was anytime a child lost a tooth, immediately going to that app on the phone and turn the switch to green. And it's, I mean, it is still there. It'll be there till Finley loses his last tooth. And at 9.45 p.m., there will be a reminder to the Tooth Fairy to not make his mistake again. Uh, because uh, we, we never want to walk down that road. Uh, so there is a, a reminder. Maybe you have different uh, alarms, reminders on your phone. We've got a reminder every Monday night to take the garbage out like an alert shows up. Uh, there's, there's ways and seasons in life that uh, we, we utilize reminders. Uh, I think today's day and age, most of our reminders are digital. They're on the phone. Uh, you, can, you can talk to your watch and tell it to do something at a certain time. And, and we get these reminders. Uh, Prior to the digital reminders, uh, and it still exists today, we, we still got the sticky note. Uh, the sticky note works to push certain places to remind yourself to do stuff. One of my strategies is if I need something the next day to like take it and put it in front of the door so it's impossible to leave. Anybody put stuff in front of the door, awesome. You gotta remind yourself. Uh, apparently back in the day, you would tie a string around your finger. That was before my time. I'm not gonna ask you if it was before your time. Uh, but uh, there was different strategies to remind ourselves ourselves of, of things that needed to get done or we wanted to remember. Uh, remember remi reminders are put in place because we know something, we're aware of it, but we need to be sure that it comes back to mind at the appropriate time. Uh, this is why we have reminders for whatever the situation may be. And the reason we would set a reminder about anything is because that something matters. To some degree, it has value, it matters, we don't want to miss it, we don't want to forget uh, the, the person that it impacts, it, it matters. So we only set reminders for those things that matter, that have value, that have purpose to our lives. Now as we look at these first three words of, of chapter three today, the first three re words we look at, it says, remind the believers that we are told to have a reminder set for believers. If you're here today and you're not a believer, uh, I wanna tell you that uh, we, we just really wanna take scripture seriously. And if you uh, want to join and, and receive the gift of, of salvation and hope and purpose, that this is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that believers need to be reminded about what we're talking about today. If you are a believer, consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this reminder is for you. This is for us, something that we are prone to forget about, that we are called to, if we're gonna stay healthy, to be reminded of this teaching. It says, remind the believers, and what we're to be reminded of is that we're not called to wage war against culture by slander and by argument, but by gentleness, by humility, by submission, by obedience. This is what we're gonna talk about here today. If we read back in verse one, it says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Remind the believers, meaning they've been told this before, 
Uh, we've been aware of this in the past, but it's something that needs to be brought up again. It needs to be repeated. Keep telling believers that it's important once the gospel has invaded our lives that we submit, we obey, and we do what is good. Now, I want to remind you, uh, we talked about the word submit a few weeks ago. I want to I bring it up again. It says submit. Now, submission uh, is not being passive. Submission is not being a doormat. Submission is strength under control. It's using the strength that you possess for, uh, for the greater good. Not being a bulldozer, but saying, I'm not going to just be passive with my strength, but how do I bring the strength under control to be utilized in the most healthful way? Uh, the, the, the analogy that's most helpful for me is, is the wrestling term of submission. That uh, submission means that there is strength, there, there is power, there is force, there is ability, but a, another wrestler has more and takes that strength and puts it under control. It doesn't mean the other wrestler isn't putting forth effort, but when you can take someone else's strength and put it under control, it's called a submission. And, and what I want to be clear on this is it doesn't say other people submit. You don't let the government submit you. It's saying submit yourselves, that we are people who are not just uh, going in and being bulldozers, but we're also not being doormats. We are people that say there is strength, there is purpose, there is ability. And how do we use this strength in a way that is most helpful? How do we bring it under control and use it for the, for the greater good rather than just what we want to do with our own strength ourselves? Uh, to be clear, the only resisting of authority that we see that we're allowed to do is when we're resisting ungodliness. When it is, a, it is authority that is moving us towards sin, that's where we resist. But we are to learn to submit even where we disagree, even when authority makes a decision or puts us in a place where it's uncomfortable, where we're inconvenienced, where it's not what we want, what we would choose, what we desire, what we voted for. Like there is a place where we submit and we obey even when it's not what we desire. Now this is uh, maybe... In, in our culture, we could find this difficult. I want to say that the culture that this was being spoken to, um, it wasn't an easy call to the believers. In fact, uh, as I was studying, there's this Greek historian that was looking at Crete at this time. And uh, this Greek historian, Polybius, probably not how you say it, uh, but his name Polybius, it said, he, he wrote this about Crete. He said, it would be impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. We've already read in scripture that one of their own authors said the people of Crete, they're lazy gluttons, they're wild brutes, they're animals. And now this, this historian says it would be really hard to find a more unjust political system than you found in Crete. That it was, it was littered with injustice, it was treacherous, and it was, it was a difficult place to live. And Paul is saying, Titus, I want you to teach the believers that even with this treacherous, even with this unjust leadership, what you need to tell them and you need to remind them consistently that what they are supposed to do is obey. And they're supposed to submit and they're supposed to be always ready to do what is good. Maybe it's difficult today to consider these teachings in today's political climate, in the higher education systems, in the school systems. Uh, maybe your own place of employment or your own household. It can be difficult to, to hear this type of teaching. I want to tell you, um, I think it's easy for us to excuse lack of submission or to excuse slander that we'll get to in the next verse. Uh, it's easy to excuse these behaviors because we disagree, because there's a lack of trust, because there's been corruption, because there's been injustice, because there's ungodliness, that we can identify these, these negatives about the, the people in authority 
And because these exist, it excuses our slander. Because this exists, it excuses our lack of obedience. Because this exists, uh, it it excuses us uh, not being submissive. But the gospel doesn't advance only when we treat well those who treat us well. In fact, uh, Jesus teaches this in the the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter uh, 5. At the end of chapter 5, Jesus teaches, like, if you just love people who love you and treat well the people who already treat you well, he's like... Everybody does that. You're no different than anybody. He says even the tax collectors do that. He goes on to the next verse and says, if you just like those and treat well those people who are doing things the way that you want them to, he's like, even the pagans do that. Like, you're not doing any good. You're not making any difference when you're just responding positively to, the, to when things go your way. He says, uh, anybody can do this. What sets us apart, what makes the believer different is when the gospel truth takes root in our lives and it leads us to live differently than we used to and differently than the world around us. It's like what's different about us is when we can love those that mistreat us. That when we can respond with obedience and submission to leadership that is unjust. That there is, there is a difference that is to be made. And the only way we get there is when the gospel has taken such root in our lives that the grace of God is so tangible that we respond differently than the world. That uh, we, can, we can be kind, it, not just, uh, this isn't just a, a gospel truth transforming us in our own morality and our own standards, but it transforms us even in the ways that we respond to leadership and authority that we disagree with. Now this virtually is an examination of of all areas of our life, of, of business. This, this can affect everything. Like, what does it look like for us in today's day and age to, to honor laws, city codes, to follow traffic rules, pay our taxes properly, contracts that are signed, the ways that you run your business, and the health department rules, and like this affects everything. How do we say this is inconvenient for me, but I'm not called to be aggressive and to to bulldoze my way through this, but how do I say this is inconvenient, but we are called to honor, to submit, and and to to be obedient and be looking for ways to do what is good. What we're called to do, what we're reminded to be, is to live in a way that would not diminish the reputation of the gospel in our community. We're to remind ourselves that we are representing the kingdom, not our personal preferences. This is hard, we're human, we have personal preferences. We have thoughts, we have ideologies, we have desires. But it's saying remind the believer that our time on this earth isn't about doing whatever we can to get things our way. But our time on this earth is an opportunity to, to be influential, to show the goodness of the gospel when instead of raging against things that don't go our way, we're looking to do good in the midst of it. And it's these moments that we represent the kingdom best, not our kingdom best. We are uh, not against our cities. We're not to be against our rulers and authorities. We are to be for them without compromise, but looking for ways and opportunities to bless our city to bless our world, to bless our neighbors, to be actively involved in what it means to do good even when things aren't the way we would have them be. And then in verse two, it takes it to this level. It says they must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. So how does a lack of submission and obedience often show up? It often shows up through slander and quarreling. It can feel like, you know, 
I'm following the rules, I'm doing the thing right, but if we are slandering, complaining, arguing, fighting through all of it, we're not actually, our heart isn't in it. We're trying to just follow rules, but what, what it means to be actively looking to, to do what is good is there's no slander and there's no quarreling. Now these can show up in lots of different ways, oftentimes face to face, maybe more often behind the back. This can happen in comment sections on social media where there is quarreling and there is slander. I think that uh, a word we really need to highlight is avoid. Avoid. Not just like try not to do it, but walk away from. Stay a great distance from. When you see opportunities for quarreling or you see others in that, that it is an avoidance that we are called to. Remind us to, to be people who avoid. There are uh, there's people that like to to battle, to rumble, to fight, whether it's on keyboards or face-to-face. There's just people that, that like to stir it up. And uh, what we're called to do is not feed them, not give them what they're looking for. Don't feed the trolls. Walk away. We're called to avoid. That There are some areas that are difficult for you to not slander. There are certain people, certain demographics, or whatever, like whatever you want to label it that is difficult. And what we're called to do is, is avoid. That might mean unfollowing unfriending, blocking, like what does it mean for us to actually put this into practice that uh, we're going to avoid quarreling? And if I, can't, if I can't see this or be around this and it doesn't stir up slander and quarreling, I need to do something to avoid. We can blame them and all we're doing is playing back into the game of what we're not supposed to be. What does it look like to actually take steps to avoid quarreling and avoid slander? Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of prominent figures. Uh, one of the most prominent is, is King David. He's got lots of amazing stories, all the way from the guy who kills Goliath, uh, all the way through writing so many of the Psalms, and he's king, uh, and he is, is in the lineage of Jesus, that Jesus is known as the son of David. Like, he's a super prominent figure in the Old Testament. And amongst his stories uh, are these stories of, of when he was declared to be the next king, but the current king was a guy named Saul. And Saul was uh, aware of David, knew David, knew that the people loved David, were excited for David to be the king, but uh, Saul found himself threatened by David. And there's this entire season of David's life where he is on the run, literally, from Saul. And he's hiding in caves, and he is just dodging and staying one step ahead of Saul, waiting for his time to serve as king as the Lord's anointed, but he's not fighting back against Saul. He's not trying to eliminate Saul. He's just avoiding the attacks of Saul for a long time. Year after year, he's on the run, super inconvenient, super unjust. He's being attacked, and he just stays away. There's actually a couple times where uh, David is in the palace with Saul, And Saul gets worked up and angry, and Saul picks up a spear and throws it at David. And David dodges a spear, it sticks in the wall, and he is being attacked by King Saul. But David, with unjust ruler, unjust authority, has an option. Is he going to slander? Is he going to fight back? Is there going to be this battle between Saul and between David? But David chooses to dodge the spears and stay away and let God do what he's going to do. He avoids quarreling. There's this amazing book called uh, The Tale of Three Kings. It's super short, super simple by Gene Edwards. Everyone should read it. But it's telling the story of of three kings, the, the king before David and the king after David and David in the middle. But it's got this little excerpt I want to read to you um, about David and Saul throwing spears at him. He, speaking of David, he did not throw Saul's spears back at him, nor did he make any spears of his own and throw them. Something was different about David. All he did was dodge the spears. 
David never got hit. Gradually, he learned a very well-kept secret. He discovered three things that prevented him from ever being hit. One, never learn anything about the fashionable, easily mastered art of spear throwing. Let me say that again. Never learn anything about the fashionable, easily mastered art of spear throwing. Two, stay out of the company of all spear throwers. And three, keep your mouth tightly closed. In this way, spears will never touch you, even when they pierce your heart. I think there's so much to learn from how David, not just in a moment, but for years of his life, knowing the call of God on his life, knowing his, his future, knowing the God's voice, knowing his anointing, knowing that uh, he had the people's support. What he did was he just dodged spears and he refused to learn the art that so many easily master of picking up the spear and throwing it back or making his own spear and throwing it back. To never learn it, to stay out of the company of other spear throwers and the difficulty of keeping one's mouth shut. This is what David did. I want to say again, this is not passive doormat Christianity. He dodged the spears. He ran away, but he didn't throw them back. There's something about godliness that encompasses not returning evil for evil, about not having to prove yourself, not having to open your mouth and establish your innocence, but just being faithful to be who God called you to be, knowing that he sees and he's got control and that we're just going to faithfully honor him. And when there seems to be every reason to pick up the spear and throw it back, we choose not to. This is what growing in godliness looks like. And it's so easy for us in our humanity to just spout the words, to be aggressive, to be against and what we are to be reminded of as healthy followers of Jesus is we need to be reminded that we're going to take that strength, we're going to put it under control, we're going to dodge spears, we're going to run, we're not going to just let ourselves be hit and attacked, but we are not going to return evil for evil. We don't have to prove ourselves. Even Jesus himself had spoken of that as a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. There was something of saying, Father, I, I trust you. You're aware of this. I don't need to explain myself to you. You know the difficulty. You know the challenge of, of the day and age that we live in. You know the circumstances surrounding me at work or, or on campus or whatever it may be. Like you see it. And instead of slandering and instead of throwing spears back, I'm going to look for opportunities to do good. We're to be gentle, humble, considerate, and actively doing good. I want to ask the question, what could this look like for you? I don't know what's coming to your mind as we're talking through this. If it's, if it's governmental, if it's political, if it's family, if it's occupational, if it's school, if it's team. I, I don't know what situation this might stir up inside of you. But what would it look like for us to be reminded today as believers that I'm going to put the spears down and I'm going to look to do good? Oh, that's not very fun. That's tough. What does it look like to do what is good? Now, I know um, we got different demographics of people, and so choosing an example is going to maybe uh, not hit everybody, but I wanted to give an example today uh, that maybe you could apply into to your own life. Uh, it's a season that, that my wife and I are in, and I know a lot of you are in, where we've got children uh, in, in the public education system. And I'll just be honest that there are some challenges as a believer to having your children in some of uh, the, the education system right now. 
uh, and what do we do as believers? Now, I also want to make this side note. I'm not at all telling you what is best for your family, what is best for your kids, if it's private, if it's homeschool, if it's public school. Uh, I'm not making a, a declaration of what you need to do with your kids. But we're walking through, like, what do we do? Like, this is, there's some wild stuff going on, curriculums that are being taught and in and, and situations that are really challenging as believers that we, we're, we're not in alignment with, yet our kids are there. What do we do about this? One option is to slander. One option is to cause a stink and argue and fight. Uh, these are options, and they're, they're options that are appealing and options that sometimes are easy to do. It's an option that we could, we could battle against things that uh, maybe we don't stand for or disagree with. Another option is to actively look to do good in that situation. I think there's a lot of examples of what doing good could look like. But what's it look like to bless that teacher, to encourage, to thank, to express gratitude to that administration? What's it look like um, to build relationship and not just be the person who's always complaining and unsatisfied and unhappy and representing uh, the kingdom of God maybe in a way that is not gentle? Uh, what does it look like? I'll just say a little bit of our journey. This might not be everybody's story. Um, I was private school my whole life. Uh, my wife, we were private school together from sixth grade on. She was uh, at private school with me. We started our kids in private school several years ago, made the transition to public school. And I was certain that uh, we were never going to be allowed to have a voice, to, especially if they found out I was a pastor. Like, it's against Christianity. Like, they're not going to let me have a voice. And we were so blessed and so surprised at how opposite that was that uh, we didn't have this strategy going into it, but we we're like, hey, let's just try to like, be nice to people and let's take some coffees to the lady at the front desk. I tell you what, coffee and a donut can get you so far, <laughs> so much farther than an angry email. Like, it's amazing. And just started building relationship. It's, again, might not be everybody's story, uh, but was amazing how quickly the administration not only was like nice back to us, but they are actually looking desperately for responsible adults to be involved. Like, they are. What's it look like to, to show up, to be generous, to give? And when there, we have had some issues, to have an open door to somebody that knows us and we know them. What's it look like to serve the school system? To show up, to, I don't know what everybody's schedule's like and it's different for people, but to, to go on the field trips. It, it, I had the front desk lady just say, this is amazing. We rarely have males ever sign up to go on field trips and we're desperate for it. Like, what does it look like? And I know work schedules and all that is, is stuff to consider. But we, we have opportunities to do good in difficult situations. And then when the difficult moments come up, we have a much more uh, receptive voice because they've experienced kindness, they've experienced humility, they've understood, hey, we maybe disagree with this rule, but we're gonna submit to it and we're gonna honor it and we're gonna respect you and we're gonna train our kids this. What does it look like in situations, that's public school, you can take whatever it is in your life and say, rather than just being frustrated in this moment, how do we actively look to do good? Because the scriptures are so clear here and elsewhere. The people are more drawn to God by humble, gentle, passionate godliness than strong arguments. They're not attracted by spear throwers. They're attracted when we dodge and we do good. I think that should be some of our mottos. What do we do as believers? We dodge and we do good. We dodge the spears and we do good. I'm going to ask the band if you'll join me. 
I think it's also important to say there is loads of beauty all around us. There's so much kindness. There's so much generosity. There's so much good in our community. Uh, there's so much good happening. But we do certainly live in a pretty cynical, critical, self-centered, inconsiderate, intolerant, pushy, you name it. We live in a spear-throwing world. It's the norm. I uh, actually heard it come out of my mouth in the last two weeks to Danny. Uh, we were in conversation. And I used the words like, it just feels like you have to be a shark to get ahead. Like you kind of just have to be a pushy. You kind of have to be sneaky. You, you, you kind of, it doesn't seem like the nice guy wins. Like it just feels like that. You just have to be a bulldozer. But we are called to live counterculture. And we have to believe that we serve a God who sees what is done in secret and he rewards it. And maybe not the way we think he will. Maybe not even on this, in this life. But we serve a God who sees. And I don't know how long we dodge the spears. I don't know how long we hide in caves. I don't know, I don't, I don't know how long this goes in whatever circumstance you're in. But we are those that dodge and do good. And we have a father who sees what is done in secret and rewards it. I, uh, I just consider what it would look like to have a whole community of people that looks like these, verse, these verses describe, all in the same community. How bright would we shine in the city if we were people who didn't throw spears back? If we were a people who were reminded consistently, you know what, we're gonna submit, we're gonna obey, we're gonna actively look to do good. When we feel prone to slander, we're gonna avoid it. We're gonna avoid quarreling. We're not gonna be known for what we fight against. We're gonna be known that even in places that we disagree with, we are looking to do what is good because we are so captivated by his kingdom we understand the message that we carry, the goodness of the gospel is not about our temporary comforts. We have eternity in the presence of God to look forward to. We can endure some discomfort in this world, in this life, and we can be nice while we experience it so that other people can have the eternity that we get to experience. We only have a little bit of time of discomfort. Life feels long, but we have an eternity of comfort awaiting us. Instead of fighting back, what if we look to do good? What if at the end of our days, we don't look back and we don't see the most comfortable life we could have had and all the arguments that we won, but we look back and we see lives that were impacted because we were gentle and avoided spear throwing? What if we made a difference in our community, in the generation after us, because we dodged and we did what was good? If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? I wanna bring this to a point of application ask you a few questions. I would like to ask you, are you currently bothered? Currently irritated? Maybe I should ask, what are you currently bothered by? <laughs> what is currently irritating you? What is it? Identify it. What is it that's not the way you would like it to be? Next question I'd like to ask is, do you have a spear in your hand? How are you handling what's currently irritating, bothering you? Maybe a more important question 
So instead of how do we throw this spear, what would actively doing good look like? What does godly living look like in that situation, in that relationship? Maybe another way to ask it is what response would make the gospel attractive even if you don't get what your flesh wants? How do we respond that way this week? To put the spear down and choose to respond in a way where the gospel, the grace of our God is attractive even if I don't get what I want. I want to tell you um, again, the only way that we get here it's through the gospel truth. It's not our efforts. It's not us just like, let's go be better people this week. It's the gospel that changes us. I want to remind you today that when we were at our worst, he gave us his best. We didn't earn his forgiveness. We didn't earn his mercy. We didn't earn his love and his compassion. We didn't earn his generosity. We didn't earn eternity. He gave it freely. Now we have the privilege of the rest of our days growing in godliness, having purpose for our days, holding on to a hope of eternity in the presence of God. And when we continually remind ourselves of the gospel, the good news that was freely given to us, it produces inside of us motivation for godly living, a reminder that we are no longer living for ourselves. If we're not followers of Jesus, this life is all about building your kingdom. Let's make it as comfortable and as convenient as we can. But if we have a hope beyond this life, we don't live for ourselves anymore. There's a higher calling. There's a greater purpose. So the challenge today, and the band's going to lead us in one last song and we'll dismiss, is I want you to pray right now on your own. Say, Lord, here is my irritation. Here's the spears I have been throwing that I repent of. Here's the spears I want to throw that I'm going to avoid. Would you show me how to do good in this situation? To represent your kingdom well. God, would you give me the courage this week to do good? To let the gospel truth that we're hearing actually impact the way that I live this week. We're going to worship together through one more song. And I'm going to ask you to just have this moment with the Lord. Father, we just ask right now that you would challenge and convict and put us, move us into action. We would not just be hearers of your word, but we would do it. Lord, I just dream about what a community who doesn't throw spears back could look like, the difference it could make in the people around us and in the generation after us. Lord, we ask that we would be people of action, that as your gospel infiltrates our lives, as your presence and your Holy Spirit gives power, that we would have the ability and the courage this week to honor, to obey, and to do good. We love you. We worship you.